Welcome to Market Chat, bringing clarity to the clutter. Sponsored by Government Marketing University. Here's today's moderator, Luann Brosman. Welcome to Market Chat, bringing clarity to the clutter in government marketing with hot topics, best practices, exciting guests, and innovative ideas. I'm Luann Brosman. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Government Marketing University. Our Market Chat co-host today with me is Steve Watkins, who is our Chief Content Officer. Hello, Steve. Hey, Luann. Good to be here. I'm glad to have you here, as always. Market Chat is an ongoing series that provides an open and collaborative interaction between government and industry to ensure that our listeners walk away empowered with greater knowledge on how you can better market to the targeted federal, state, and local governments. Really excited, Steve, about this episode today. I've been really looking forward to it. Um, So listeners, in this episode today, we're talking with two experts in the field of government contracting. They both have over a decade of experience in GovCon, focusing on business development, capture and proposal development efforts. So I want to welcome to Market Chat, Lisa Shea Munt of the Pulse of GovCon, along with Amber Hart, also of the Pulse of GovCon. So ladies, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you so much for having us. We're happy to be here. Excited. Uh, You know, the information that you've already shared with us as we've been preparing today has just been awesome. So I think our listeners are really going to get a lot out of this. So, you know, the Pulse of um, the Pulse of GovCon, I think it's such a cool company that that you have founded and that you're you're building. It's it's amazing. Uh, So our listeners, it's a boutique federal market intelligence firm specializing in government contract storytelling. And as marketers, we all want to do that. Right. It's, It's all about telling the story to our listeners uh, today. So that's another reason that we're really excited that you are on our program today uh, to better tell stories as we're marketing and doing our proposals into the government. And overall interaction and engagement with our federal customers are going to increase by what they're going to learn on Market Chat today. I found a quote um, that I'm not sure if one of you wrote or not, but it's the kind of the, the insight to what we're going to learn today. So here's the quote Government contract procurement and acquisition doesn't happen in a vacuum. Federal opportunities and contracts live, breathe, and change at a constant rate due to countless environmental factors, hello, um, COVID-19, that impact the federal government and industry. There is a story behind each contract that begins well before the period of performance starts. So ladies, that's just brilliant. And I think that really absolutely brings the whole thing together of what we're going to be talking about today. So for listeners, whether you're brand new to the market or you've been talking about your big data approach to your federal business development, today's market chat is going to give you the context to change that narrative. So Steve, we're about ready to go. So we have three segments during market chat. And the way we're doing this today to make sure that we're covering all the bells and whistles, segment one is going to focus on the data. Segment two is going to focus on the context. And then we'll wrap with the application in segment three. So Steve, take it away. Great. Thanks, Luann. And like you, I'm really excited about this one. Uh, It's kind of amazing we haven't hit on the topic of data already in in the many shows that we've done so far, because it's so integral to government contracting and marketing and and just laying the groundwork to, to get that pipeline going. So uh, Lisa and Amber, let me start off um, because some listeners may be thinking, oh God, they're going to talk about data. (laughs) We need to let them know, I think right off the bat, why is it so important uh, to make data an integral part of your GovCon activities? Absolutely. So why is data important? We all know that procuring contracts is actually the lifeblood of any government contractors. Because without acquiring that contract, those contractors just flat up seats to exist. But we also know that one does not simply walk into the government and demand a contract. They don't just ask for it and then you're given something so wonderful and lucrative. Uh, There's actually a really complicated and interwoven minefield of information that you have to navigate first in order to ensure that you are able to source, vet, and then bid on those contract opportunities. And that's why data is so important because Data is your guide through that minefield. Um, Without it, you're lost in the wilderness. Right. You know, kind of besides a stellar business development team and a devoted operational team, data is the most imperative tool for government contractors, hands down. Yeah, Amber, I I agree. Um, So what are the types of data that 
anyone in the in the contracting uh, arena needs to be aware of and, and collect for their for their purposes. Sure. So, and this is Lisa. Um, the way that we're going to be talking about data in this episode is around the idea of a story through data. Uh, and so in order to talk about stories and storytelling, we want to talk about the four P's of storytelling. We're going to talk about people, plot, place, and purpose. And so for the subject and the topic of government contracting data, people is going to be who the stakeholders are, who's involved. Plot is what sequence of events actually brought us to this moment in time. Place is where are we, whether that's the actual place of performance or almost the metaphysical place on you know, where we are in the life cycle. And the purpose is what the underlying factors are that led us to this moment. And government contractors, you need data in all four of those buckets. So Amber, I mean, let's just start with the people, the type of data around people for government contracting. Absolutely. And the people has a wide range, uh, especially when it comes to government contracting, because you're looking at not only the vendor side of the story, but the federal workforce side of the story. So the people you need to identify, the incumbents, the source selection committee, the federal buyers, not only the contracting acquisition professionals, but who are the end users, who are the stakeholders. You know, when you're looking at that kind of data for the people, it's not only who are the drivers and the deciders of these things, but who's your competition or who's your possible teammates? You know, at least when we're talking about plot, what are we really looking at there? Right, so and I'm just gonna go back to people actually for a second, because I feel like there's so many things that we can um, pull these threads for the people. Um, and something that Amber, you and I talk about all the time is sometimes people in government contracting have a hard time identifying who their actual federal buyers are. And a lot of times really established business developers and capture managers and proposal managers don't know who they're talking to or who they're selling to. And isn't that just the first thing that you need to know in marketing is who your audience is. And yet so many of us actually, we, we try to sell to the wrong people, um, not recognizing that there are certain folks on the government side who hold the purse strings, who have the purchasing and the buying authority. And those are the people that we need to be marketing ourselves to, reaching out to, and then selling to gain access to those contracts. So, you know, a lot of people will say, well, I, I know the CIO over at this federal agency, which is great, or I'm really in with the program manager, which is also great. But if you're not talking to the contracting office over there, you know, the KO, the CO, the COTAR, the core, then you're not selling to the right people. So that's why this sort of data is so important. You could be focusing your efforts, your sales efforts on the wrong folk. Um, you know, as far as plot, you know, that's all about the sequence of events that brought us to this contract, to this opportunity. Um, you need to know whether or not there is a set aside on that contract. And if there is a socioeconomic set aside, there's a reason for that. So what is the reason? What's or the if it came from a full and open competition and moved to a set aside or for somehow, some reason by the grace of or the pull of God, it got pulled out of a set aside pool, right? That's a big deal. And knowing that is so important. It means something. It means if there's a set aside, then maybe that, that customer, that agency has small business goals that they have to meet. And they're trying to encourage that. We say have to, that they are encouraged to meet. Um, this is about whether or not an opportunity is coming out competitive or non-competitive, whether it has been sole sourced, you know, that means something. There are implications behind the acquisition procedures and strategies, um, whether something is coming out under a vehicle or just out in the general market, whether something is coming out under a GSA schedule. Does this mean that somebody else has been in the customer's ear whispering, saying, hey, I would like to shape this opportunity using an acquisition method that benefits me? Um, you know, this is all about whether you're selling services or products. This is down into the nitty gritty of the requirements. Does the government just need products or do they need the kind of value add behind that, some semblance of service that has to help them install it? Um, and then the requirements history. Has this been competed before? Right. And when we're talking about the requirements history, as a recent story that comes to mind that has kind of been 
circling around when it's understanding the plot is actually with this CDC dashboard that was supported by a, a very well-known consulting company through a sole source. And there is actually a really large story that's told through that JNA justification um, process. And that's actually been getting a lot of attention due to the ethical implications of that. And you, you better believe that CDC requirement and that dashboard su supporting the pandemic is going to come up as a requirement. And that story about that plot is going to play a difference in shaping that acquisition strategy going forward. You know, Jedi is another perfect example, right? You saw what the CIA did after Jedi kind of went a direction and it's still in court. Um, the CAA went ahead and said, all right, well, with our next cloud recompete, we're just going to make it a multiple award just so we don't have to deal with this insanity, right? And that plot implicates a lot. And that's the part of that storytelling that helps not only government contractors understand acquisitions, but the federal workforce on where the pitfalls are currently in industry. So Amber and Lisa, I, I, you guys just uh, really did, a, I think, a great job explaining all the buckets that that data helps you kind of develop uh, to, to basically create the context and the narrative for a procurement and for uh, kind of getting into that uh, the, the competition. So I guess, that, you know, from here, the question is, so what are the types of, of data that you collect that, that help you fill those, fill those uh, categories of plot, people, place, and purpose? It, it's the data that, that we laid out. It's whether or not to set aside. It's, is it you know, openly competed or has it been sole source? It's these type of, it's qualitative data is what we're really getting at under these elements of storytelling. Um, it's, you know, then there's actual just facts like where the data has been performed, uh, what locale, under what uh, contracting shop has the opportunity come out. And then really what I think we're all getting at with this idea of storytelling and why we're looking for narrative behind why a contract action has happened is trying to build purpose out of what seems to have you know, no method to the madness. And there is a purpose behind every contract. And that purpose is a big part of the story too. Um, so, you know, contracts, a lot of people will see an opportunity and they're like, or an RFI, uh, market research, something that's pre-solicitation where they go, well, that's a need that the government has. So, you know, this is obviously going to be a contract. They think that, oh, if I submit an RFI for this, or if I submit a white paper to an agency on this requirement that they are going to need in contract, then I will be given a contract. But there's so much more going on in the background. Right, you know, and Lisa, so yeah, you make a great point about a need, but like also a requirement that doesn't happen or gets scrapped. Um, and that's due to things like congressional initiatives, congressional documents, which I know is where Lisa was going. Um, and, you know, I saw this conversation actually happening on LinkedIn the other day saying, can a government, a federal agency cancel a contract based on federal regulations or an EO or, and the answer is the government can cancel a contract for anything. And, to, you know, we saw a new administration come in that has completely new objectives, right, than the past four years. And we, we're gonna see a lot of uh, contracts get canceled or a lot of government contractors choose not to go after things because of congressional initiatives, the documents, what the NDAA is saying, as well as where the money is going, because if it's not funded by Congress, it's not happening. So a federal agency can want to do a million different things, but if Congress only wants that federal agency to focus on one specific thing and only gives them dollars for that one specific thing, those other things are not happening. And that is why it's so important for government contractors to understand the purpose behind the data. You know, when it comes to government data, it's kind of OSINT and human, you know, to, to talk to the people uh, that are in the IC space. And those things are so important because it's not only understanding the people and gathering intelligence from the people, but there's also a lot of open source um, data that you can go ahead and pull these things from. So Amber's been mentioning the dollars and, and what we're getting at is the budget. And this is an example of that quantitative data, right? Those are, those are facts, those are figures, those are numbers. They are, um, they're, they're not emotional laden. This is, this is what's been spent and this is what can be spent. And I think that that's such an important point 
because she's right. You know, you can see the ceiling value of an IDIQ contract, but unless you've actually looked at the documentation, the budget to know what sort of dollars are going to be allocated to that, you don't know the actual funding uh, or the actual value of that contract. And that's really frustrating because especially small government contractors don't always get that. They'll see an IDIQ for a million dollars and they'll win a seat on it and they'll say, great, I want a million dollar contract and they super didn't. Yeah, you're exactly right about that. Um, so what are some of the gaps that, that are often um, embedded in some of these uh, data sources that, that I think our listeners need to be aware of? There are a lot of gaps. Um, so unfortunately, in our, the now and the here, there is no one place where a full picture of the federal procurement landscape actually exists. People will say that there are some .gov sources like beta.sam.gov or FPDS, or some people are really loyal to usaspending.gov. And they're all really worthwhile tools, but they all have gaps. Because actually at our last count, I think, Amber, correct me if I'm wrong, there's something like 86 different .gov websites that all house contract data. And so even these big commercial firms that exist that say that they cover it all, they don't actually scrape from all these sources and they don't pull API from all of them. So with all of these disparate sources, there are always going to be gaps. And that's why you can't just rely on the data at face value um, and not actually take the time to interpret it. Yeah, there is just so much out there. And I think that really comes back to that um, you know, st data storytelling. Truthfully, that's the largest gap. Um, the historical linkages between contracts and requirements, I mean, going back to our kind of purpose and plot, right? A lot of these contracts are getting consolidated and bundled um, due to government initiatives such as category management. And it's those kind of linkages that aren't really fully explained in our industry. I think it's lost a lot because those types of regulations and those types of initiatives really impact our industry. You know, we're seeing a lot of consolidation in uh, small businesses coming into industry or getting acquired. We're seeing a lot of consolidated contracts coming through where only large people can really, and vendors can really compete. And it's understanding that data, not only on the vendor side so that you can be more strategic about who you partner with and where you're going after, but the federal government side so they can see if maybe some regulations need to be pivoted or changed or, ad or adjusted in order to not impact the industrial base to a non-competitive level. And with that, we have to take a break. So great conversation. I'm learning a lot. I know our listeners are as well, but we do need to take a break. So please stay with us as we talk about how to change your proposal narrative with Lisa Shea Munt and Amber Hart of the Pulse of GovCon. You're listening to Market Chat, bringing clarity to the clutter in government marketing, brought to you by Government Marketing University on Federal News Network. Government Marketing University is an innovative learning platform that applies a collaborative, community-based approach towards knowledge sharing and skills development in the field of public sector marketing. Experts from all corners of the U.S. public sector marketplace, marketers, thought leaders, government, media, and sales, are contributing their knowledge to this unique, content-rich platform. Government Marketing University offers training, research, certifications, mentoring, and community resources all in one place. Learn more at gmarku.com. Welcome back to Market Chat by Government Marketing University on Federal News Network. I'm Luann Grossman. I'm the CEO and founder of Government Marketing University. And with me today is my co-host, Steve Watkins, who is our Chief Content Officer. And Steve, I'm just, I'm riveted already with what our guests, Lisa Shea-Mont and Amber uh, Hart are telling us today, they're with the Pulse of GovCon is their company, and they have just provided more information than I think I've gotten in a short amount of time in a long time. And so I'm so pumped, so I'm not going to talk long because they have a lot more great stuff to share. So Steve, I'm going to pass it over to you to continue this lively discussion. Yeah, thanks, Luann. So the, the last segment, we talked about kind of the, the importance of data and uh, where to get a lot of that data and also looked at some of the gaps that uh, listeners need to be aware of as they're collecting a lot of this data for their own uh, narrative and their strategies. In this segment, let's talk a little bit more about uh, how data uh, is actually used to uh, support uh, growth bid and proposal strategies. So Lisa and Amber, I'm gonna just put that question to you plainly. 
how do uh, how should our vendors uh, use this data as they try to grow and, and win business? Absolutely. So this is Lisa Munt. Uh, the data is nothing without being contextualized. And that, if you take anything away from this chat today, let it be that. Uh, data at face value and data for data's sake does nothing. The context behind it and contextualizing it, that's what really impacts your company's ability to grow. And it should directly impact the strategic directions of your company. Uh, it impacts your customer base, your portfolio development, down to which proposals you should work on. That's why you collect data to make those important bid decisions. And Amber here, you know, there's other things that this data helps impact, right? It helps you develop unsolicited white papers. It helps you figure out the requirements that are coming up, helps you figure out where the government is looking to fill. Um, it helps you figure out, you know, we talked about in the last segment, congressional initiatives. What is Congress directing your federal agency to do? That's a great place to start creating unsolicited white papers or developing a strategy or write a for the marketers out there, a content strategy, right? And that, that and we're gonna talk about that a little bit more, I know in the next few um, questions and segments. It also helps inform your win themes and your solution development when it comes to proposal development, right? And understanding the data, who you're talking to, right? The four Ps that Lisa touched on, who are the people that you're talking to? Where are you talking to them? What is their purpose and what is, Oh, remind me what <laughs> and their plot right and like what are these requirements that we're talking to so that helps inform your proposal response what are the wind themes that are going to matter what are the qualitative and quantitative proof points you need to be using that's going to really um, help that source and source selection committee uh, select you and then also um I would be remiss to say that there's a really fun data point that we're learning that we're actually going to be putting an article out on on about how to use the data in FPDS and USA Spend to unseat an incumbent and identify an incumbent that may be struggling to fill requirements. So there are so many ways to use this data in a in a um, you know qualitative way, in a content writing way, marketing way, and as Lisa mentioned, in your st strategic growth strategy. Wow, that's great. So you were talking about content and white papers and so forth. Why don't we just jump into that? So. So how do you use this data uh, specifically for marketing communications purposes? Right, so this is Lisa. Data tells you who is buying what you're selling. Just at its you know, very core, its very nature, it directs you to who you need to communicate with. It tells you what programmatic pain points there are uh, within each agency and within your customer base. And then it actually informs you on how to sell your services. And so one thing that we always say is you need data to put together an actionable communications plan. It's, and it is a plan. It's not just um, throwing stuff at the wall, reaching out willy nilly saying, hey, you know, Jenny over there at Army, she sounds nice. Maybe, maybe she'll give me a contract. No, you have to find out what Jenny has spent money on historically, because although not exactly, you know, indicative of whether they'll spend money on that in the future, it's a great starting point. It's a way to make cold calls more lukewarm if you know what these people have been buying and how they've been buying it. Or you know, I'm gonna interject there because this is Luann. I couldn't agree more and I love that songbook because we preach all the time at GMarkU that marketers and their sales and their BD and their capture team need to come together. And what a great value that the government marketers can bring to um, their coworkers that are working on these large RFIs, RFPs, by bringing that data to them. So thank you for bringing that up. I could not yeah, agree more. Some Listeners, cool... pay attention to that. The, yeah, yeah the, and that. there's some cool stuff that you marketers do, right? Like G, I don't, I couldn't even talk. Like geotagging, right, and geolocation data to to kind of drive advertisements and and things like that, which like blow my mind because I that's so over my head. But if you actually start collecting data on where these buyers are, their locations, their place of performance, um, what they engage with, right? I, I, correct me if I'm wrong, right? You can use that data to, to target your advertisements um, to Absolutely. those locations and to those buyers. I mean, I, I always, it blows my mind. I don't know why, but I'll be like driving in a car. I'll be driving in my car, just going to my grocery store trip, my one for the week or something. And I'll hear a, you know, an advertisement on a sports radio show for like Lidos 
or as like, and it just, it just always blows my mind when I hear a government contractor on the radio or it's always cloud computing. It's always the words, but I'm like, that's interesting, right? You think about the demographics of some of these contracting officers, they might be listening to the sports radio show, you know, at this time I have, you know. Absolutely they are. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of stats. Your strategic partner market connections keeps track of all that. And yeah, they're, they are absolutely out there listening. WTOP Federal News Network is our preferred choice. And I think the information that comes across there is awesome. But yeah, we're seeing that that broader, especially during COVID, right? Because people are home and they're listening more and they're watching more and things like that. So again, spot on. It's just fascinating. And you know, Amber here about ways to use this data for your communications and marketing teams. Another thing that you do talking about data storytelling is creating more case studies. There's not enough case studies in government contracting. Um, and I feel like we would all benefit from having more. And I think case studies help provide um, substantiation and examples to your government clients and your federal clients. Uh, you know, know, we've had public affairs officers on several times on government marketing university events, and they all say, not many people ask us for case studies. So yes, you Isn't know, so get a case study. It's There's possible. so much data out there. It's such a great, I mean, like even Lisa and I, like we don't work with the government, but like we always are needing to create success stories that we have with our clients. That data storytelling and putting that in plain English for a contracting officer saying, hey, there was this requirement. We came up with this type of acquisition strategy. Here's how it was executed. Here's how it grew. And here's the success factor. And you put that in plain English for them. I mean, there's nothing better. I mean, that's, that's the whole thing. Can we just talk about something that you guys have touched on a little bit is this idea of situational awareness through absorbing data. And I think sometimes contractors, we get a little too niche, we get a little too swim lane and we put on our blinders and we only look at our customer spaces. And what we at The Pulse always preach is that you need to take those blinders off and you need to look at the full landscape of the data because then you can see what sister agencies have done, where they've been successful, where you've been successful somewhere else. And then you can then switch your, your focus to try to sell that same service or product to another agency. Situational awareness is so important in government contracting and not enough of us take advantage of everything that's out there. Yeah, that's, I love that point. Uh, and you're exactly right. It's not just enough to focus on your particular agency or directorate that you're trying to sell to. You really have to open the aperture uh, to, to understand how you fit in and, and where there might be some, some good connections uh, for you to take advantage of. Uh, Lisa and Amber, I'd like to ask you, you know, a lot of, a lot of our listeners are, you know, they, they range the gamut from, from small business uh, or someone who's just starting off in the federal marketplace or the public sector marketplace to, you know, the, the, the big uh, corporations who've, who are firmly established. But uh, let's talk about the, the smaller, uh, newer entrants in the marketplace one of the first things they need to do, of course, is get a GSA schedule. So let's let's uh, kind of zoom into a, an actual uh, example here. How would a vendor use, what, what are your uh, suggestions as to how vendors can use data to better market their GSA schedule? Before we dive too far into that, I do want to pull back and say, although GSA schedules are definitely beneficial, we wouldn't necessarily say it's the first thing that a new market entrant needs to do. And I think that that rhetoric- also wouldn't is, qualify. It wouldn't, I think that <laughs> rhetoric is out there a lot. And so we'll see a lot of people, especially coming from commercial that decide that they want to sell to the government. They say, somebody told me I need a GSA schedule. And we have to say, okay, you know, slow your roll. There's some things that we need to do first. Um, but if you are established and you're looking for a way to down select uh, the competitive pool that you're engaging in, then GSA schedules are a great option, a great tool. And when it comes to using the data to market your GSA schedule, it's about knowing which contracting offices, contracting officers leverage the GSA schedules that you have. Um, often, you know, that's the best place to start. And this really beyond just GSA schedules, this goes for any type of simplified acquisition method, any sort of um, GWAC that you're on, any umbrella contract, anything like that, any, any MAS contract that you're on. Um, that's what you have to do. You have to figure out who is leveraging it. And because if you have something like a GSA schedule, 
that makes it easier for a customer to sign a contract over to you, then all the more parties are going to walk away happy. Yeah, we always get surprised uh, by vendors that have GSA schedules that don't market it. And we understand why some larger vendors don't, right? Their prices on there aren't ideal. They don't really want that. But to, in my, you know, in my opinion, you know, to not have it on your, your GSA schedule with your contract numbers, not having it on your website, on your business cards, on your corporate capabilities brief, your LinkedIn pages, your Twitter, everywhere. I mean, that's how they, that's how they find you. Um, there's really, there, there's a few different databases that these government, that, you know, government workforces can go out there and they can find you through SAM, but they look for you for, through GSA. And, you know, there's, Lisa brought up a lot of good points about using that to track and market and really down selecting who's using yours, because it's really important to understand that not everyone has GSA um, authority. Not every GSA contracting officer is a GSA schedules contracting officer. So you need to recognize who you're actually, it's kind of bringing that funnel down further. You need to recognize who you're contacting, what GSA schedules is used to buy and what you're looking to sell. You know, something that is currently a, a big discussion point is if you're a, let's say a market entrant and you don't always need to be a small business, right? Say you're someone that comes from Silicon Valley, from Austin, and you're like, all right, I can now make money in the government contracting arena. I got business experience. I got money to play. Let's go. I want a GSA schedule. Now, what they're not, what you're not used to going through with those are firm fits price um, proposals and requirements. And that's what GSA schedule is. Uh, you know, there's things that call, called cost plus um, where you can make me make a little bit more, a little bit more money and you have a little bit more leniency um, when it comes to that schedule. GSA schedules don't support that. So understanding what the requirements are, how you want to go after it and what those GSA schedules support is so important when it goes to targeting and marketing your GSA schedule. That's a great point. Yeah. And of course, you know, we, we also hear the term of best value uh, a yeah. lot. And, and that often kind of goes out the window when, uh, you know, procurement authority is looking only at, you know, uh, competing one schedule off of another or one con schedule contract off of another. Uh, yeah. And Steve, I'm actually happy you brought that up because going back to segment one about this discussion, right? There was recently a um, memo put out and a regular on the federal registrar about LPTA um, and go going to that best value and how there needs to be justification for LPTA use in certain cases. Now, what a lot of government contractors saw that and like that's room to celebrate. But what we don't understand is that that still takes that doesn't make it law. And that doesn't make it that everyone knows about. There's really no one system that sends out a news flash to everyone. Um, so it comes to understanding that data and training your contracting officers on that data and making them more aware of it. But I just, I would be remiss if I didn't bring that up about best value and LPTA. It's just another great point about understanding data and communicating that. Yeah, that's a great point, Amber. Thank you. And so we're uh, we're going to take a break here, Luann, uh, but I know in the next segment, we're going to get a lot more into kind of how to leverage uh, the data research uh, that that uh, our, our listeners uh, can be doing to uh, to win business. So stay tuned. OK, and welcome um, again, Amber and Lisa, to the Market Chat program. We're excited and we continue to learn more. And as Steve said, we'll be back in a minute. Uh, you're listening to Market Chat, bringing clarity to the clutter in government marketing, brought to you by Government Marketing University on Federal News Network. Government Marketing University is an innovative learning platform that applies a collaborative, community-based approach towards knowledge sharing and skills development in the field of public sector marketing. Experts from all corners of the U.S. public sector marketplace, marketers, thought leaders, government, media, and sales, are contributing their knowledge to this unique, content-rich platform. Government Marketing University offers training, research, certifications, mentoring, and community resources all in one place. Learn more at gmarku.com. Welcome back to Market Chat by Government Marketing University on Federal News Network. I'm Luann Brossman, the CEO and founder of Government Marketing University. And in this episode of Market Chat, we're talking about how to change your proposal narrative with Lisa Shaymont and Amber Hart of the Pulse of GovCon. So ladies, welcome back. 
Um, Steve Watkins, our Chief uh, Content Officer at Government Marketing University is moderating the panel today. So Steve, I'm tossing it back over to you. Great, thanks Luann. So Lisa and Amber, this has been uh, really fascinating so far. Um, let's get into kind of the, you know, why our listeners should perform their own opportunity research. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of, um, I think, question out there among uh, some of our listeners as to, you know, there's a lot of uh, paid data uh, services out there. And so I think a lot of them wonder, you know, are are they worth it? What is the value add? There's an awful lot of uh, uh, free data. As you guys mentioned, there's 86.gov websites with contract data, which uh, actually that was a number that surprised me. I, I know there's a lot, but that that's uh, plenty. So uh, Lisa and Amber, um, why should they do that research? And what? how should they think in terms of whether to just use freely available data or go to paid subscriptions? This is Lisa. Uh, we've so far discussed the actual data. We've talked about contextualizing it. And we also know that that doesn't do any good for anyone unless we can now apply what we've learned. So this idea of the application and part of the application is choosing where to look, what to invest in and how to move forward with it. So Amber and I firmly believe the, you know, you need to pay for government contracting intelligence is one of the biggest lies in our industry. We believe that there are a lot of commercial systems and consulting firms that would have you believe that everything that they put forward and pull is shrouded in mystery and otherwise unattainable outside of their paywall or their expertise. But we wanna set the record straight and say that the origin of all of this intelligence is actually free. You just need to know where to look. And it can be difficult to know where to look. Um, but we want you to know that, yes, these systems are there and they, they are functional and they work, but you do not need them. There are plenty of options for you and other ways to invest in order to find this material. Um, so we just want to say just right up front that you should take all of these firms research with a grain of salt. And that actually includes our own. You know, the Pulse of GovCon, we put together market intelligence all the time. And a lot of people will ask us if our market intel will win them contracts. And the answer is, of course not. Of course, the data is not going to win a contract. You know, data doesn't win contracts. Contractors win contracts. Uh, and the data is for you to use to narrow down that field of vision that we talked about before, find a target, and then get noticed. And that's what's so cool about this industry. And it's really all encompassing of this full topic is that some people refer to what we do every day as B to G, you know, business to government. But really, it's B to H, business to human. And humans have to interpret the information laid out in front of you to make you know, wise decisions. Yeah, and it comes with those. So a lot of these commercial systems, and again, we have created our own platform. So we're speaking for ourselves as well. Um, you know, when you, a lot of these platforms have come into place because of the way that the federal government has not matured with commercial technology. And because there's no one source, one stop shop for this data, and I know that GSA is trying to tackle this with betasam.gov, I still don't know if that's going to be the answer. But because it doesn't exist, commercial firms have stepped in and, you know, we're talking about this storytelling. There's been such a gap in actually plain speaking and understanding government procurement data and opportunities, and the government hasn't really provided a one-stop shop for that. So commercial companies have stepped in and have kind of fronted as this storytelling engine where they're just kind of throwing a bunch of data at you, taking their best guesses, just as we all do. Um, so it really comes with a grain of salt because a database and software is not going to win you a contract. And as long as you know where you're looking, what you're doing, and it takes a lot of work. Trust me, we know that um, to monitor these systems and to look at these things. But, you know, commercial databases right now just do a, a semi-decent job of aggregating that. But there's no really contextualizing it because at the end of the day, as Lisa said, it's you're selling to humans. And unless you have a team that can execute that information, those databases and, you know, those tens of thousands of dollars that you're spending a year do, does nothing for you. I love that. I love that B to H, uh, Lisa, business to human, because you're exactly right about that. And it really underscores, I think, this kind of the, the, the central point that you both have been talking about the whole, the whole program, which is data really supports storytelling. 
uh, and creates the, the broader narrative and context that's so important uh, to make to make your pitch and to uh, to have it uh, resonate uh, in, in the best way possible. So let me ask both of you guys um, that we we understand for that reason that storytelling is very important, but maybe you can give us explain that a little bit further. You know, how do, how can our listeners use storytelling more to their advantage and, and use data yeah. to support that? So this is Lisa. Um, you know, it goes back to what Amber was saying, which is this last decade was filled with big data automation. You know, finally, finally for all of us, there was a way to reveal relationships and dependencies and data sets that were too large to otherwise be managed. And that's great. You know, we got historical spending data and charts and pictures and systems that quote unquote told us what it all meant. But the problem was, and the problem is that it isn't enough. And you're right, the point that we keep harping on is this idea that government contracts are not an automated process. You know, you can have all of the data and this is something we work with clients all the time. They're like, we had all the data, we did everything right and we still lost a proposal. Like, how is that possible? We did it, we had the data and the data said this, but the story is what's missing. And the story, the lack thereof is why that's possible. Um, you know, the feelings that a customer has about you and your company is part of that story. Uh, their perceptions of you, which can be changed based on your marketing, based on your stamp on industry, what they see about you, what sort of value adds you put out into the universe. Um, you know, the feelings that they have, the mandates coming down from on high through legislation, like Amber had mentioned before. Um, that's all part of the story and how the, the contracting officer felt when they woke up that day and then had to make a decision. That's part of the story. And that's why storytelling is so important. And, you know, as we mentioned, as Lisa was kind of touching on about the, the data and the, the big data and the collection of that, right? At the end of the day, though, you know, I think it's interesting when it comes to data and kind of how our community has moved forward. We all expect that everyone, and I'm talking about business developers to your federal workforce, that we all are expected to understand how to analyze, translate, download data, read these dashboards, read these complicated Excel, Excel sheets, run formulas and things like that. And that's fun for a lot of people. That's fun for me. And even I don't even know how to do that uh, very well. But what we don't really always recognize is that stories is how humans communicate. Right, and in federal procurement, especially in US procurement, we are lagging behind that type of transparency so bad. And before you all think I'm giving up on my soapbox, I'm not, I'm trying to explain a little bit about how that transparency can help you and your business development team and help your federal workforce. Because there is so much raw procurement data out there that we haven't be, even begun to scratch the surface yet on how that data can be used, not only for acquisition and procurement betterment, better regulations, better um, requirements gathering, better ways to do market research, better ways for the, the federal. I will never um, forget this story. When Lisa and I first started The Pulse, um, we, had, we have a Twitter stream of federal procurement opportunities. And we had someone from a federal agency reach out to us and want to learn more about this because they just wanted to see what their counterparts were doing. And they said that there was no other way for them to observe that. So for them to learn from their own sister and brother agencies. And we just don't, the federal government and we don't do a really good job of capturing those stories to talk about um, what projects have failed. How have they failed, right? How do, we, how do we learn if we're not sharing these types of stories? And then on their BD and growth side, right? I get that we have, you know, Gen X and Gen Z and everyone coming in that knows how to use data and they can probably go and dig up more dirt on anyone in like the drop of a hat than like anyone I know. But still we're counting on everyone to understand how to interpret that data immediately. And what you, if you, if you actually walk it back and put your story, your procurement story into context for everyone on your team, you're able to collaborate better. You're able to ask better questions. You're able to create a more of an environment where it's in plain speak, where everyone understands kind of the mission, what's going on and where you need to dig rather than just trying to interpret the numbers. Yeah, I, you know, I would echo that uh, wholeheartedly because Luann, as you know, one of the things we keep hearing from, you know, current and former federal uh, procurement officials, IT uh, officials, program officials, it's 
you know, one of the biggest headaches that they keep telling us about is when vendors come and meet them and they have not done their homework. And that's, that's is such a constant theme that we get. Do your homework, be prepared, know exactly who you're meeting and what their issues are and what their big concerns and challenges are. And so often that actually does not happen. Vendors, you know, work for maybe months or a year even to get a, a, a meeting with, you know, a senior official and they get that meeting and then they say, tell us what we can do for you. <laughs> uh, and so, you know, basically what you're saying just jives completely with, with a lot of, you know, previous uh, programs, which is do your homework. That's the data is out there and it can tell you all that information. So let me ask you guys, you know, maybe you can offer an example of kind of how data supported storytelling can help uh, vendors when they're kind of approaching that, whether it's a, a meeting with the senior official or it's an unsolicited white paper or what have you. Um, perhaps you can offer an example of, of how that data supported uh, storytelling can, can actually play out and look like. What does that look yeah, like? Yeah, so Steve, this is Lisa. Uh, and so that everything that you just said, yes, absolutely a hundred times yes. And this is that homework. Everything that we've talked about the people, place, purpose, plot, that's the homework. That's what you come to these meetings with. Uh, and that's why this is so important. And that's why you need to know when you have a meeting with a contracting officer, where they've spent money before, yeah. what other programs they're responsible for, um, what mandates are coming down, what the mission is, what their pain points, what other contractors they've worked with, what other vendors they currently have doing this type of work whether the type of work is consolidated under another existing contract or if this is you know, a true recompete of something, um, that, that's the data. So that's how it can better a business development professional or a capture manager when they're having these meetings. On the flip side, it can also better government contracting and our thinking on where to invest internally are very, very precious resources when it comes to bidding on federal work. Um, and if we understood, we had this idea of what storytelling is and, and what we're missing without it, then people might stop trying to replace the human element with tech on top of tech on top of tech, expecting that tech to win them contracts instead of taking the time to invest in people that actually know what to do with the data. And if I could just add on to their right, government contractors, right, on how to use, and Lisa makes such a great point about, we're trying to fix tech with tech with more tech. Like, you know, it's, I, 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 I do sometimes subscribe to this whole move fast break things, but I, I saw a really important um, quote the other day that said, move slow, fix things. And I know, right? And, you know, there, there's something to be said about that where it comes to your BD teams, if you're just throwing data at them, or you're having trouble getting in contact with someone, just even taking the time to go and look at a solicitation and see who the supporting contracting officer is or the core is. If you're having an issue getting in touch with the CO, you know, getting and finding their assistant or their deputy and try contacting them. You know, it's a great way to spread the net that way, talking about networking. And then if I can just kind of pivot a little bit to how you use that in marketing, we're all online these days. You know, if you're putting out case studies, making videos and targeting those to people on social media, on Twitter, um, on a medium pages, you know, anywhere you do this and creating case studies that are relevant, you know, that, that helps you get, contracting officers are engaging all over the place on social media. It's insane. I love it. I've never had so much access before in my life and actually, and you know, it is encouraged. And so creating content for them to engage with and learn from, from you is a great way to educate your customer. And then if I could take that one more step further to the federal government, as now that we have a moment to say something, you know, Lisa, again, I'm going to go back to the tech on tech on tech, learning how to use vehicles with so many vehicles these days. Uh, there's a lot of uh, duplic duplicative contracts. There's a lot of duplicative usages that, that really hurts industry. And I know the government also feels plagued with this. If the government would just take a step back and put out use cases on vehicle usage, on like where it went wrong, what was a success, what requirements are working with it. Like I would love 
to see a case study and a lessons learned document out on what went wrong with a lion to small business. I think that everyone could learn something from that. I think industry would become educated on the way that the government assesses these things, the way the protest period goes and how the government kind of walks these things back or when they decide to wash their hands clean. You know, I think that could benefit everyone. So I think that more transparency in this industry and the data storytelling with that it, it could only make this industry run smoother and better. And maybe we can just fix things, not try to create better things. You know, I love that. I think that's another radio program to talk about, you know, or, you know, coming together jointly with, with your organization and ours to create that. I think it's a great idea. We'd love to. I'll never forget. There was actually another moment where way back when we had first started the Pulse, we had a presentation to a bunch of uh, veteran-owned and SDVOSB companies. And at that point, Vets 2 was about to hit the streets and we, everyone was excited about it because they said, finally, a vehicle for us. Um, can't wait. Going to be really lucrative. And Amber had pulled the data from the last seven years on Vets 1 and said, guys, this is getting you know, de-obligated. 70% decrease over seven years. And she said, that's a story. That's the story here. And that's what people didn't see because of the way that it was being marketed, the advertisement from the VA saying Vets2 is going to be the place to go for you guys. And we said, nah, the data tells a different story. Sure enough. Sure enough. <laughs> we all know what happens to Vets2. <laughs> that's, that's, that is great insight. And you're so right. I mean, I'm thinking of my journalism days and we use data exactly like that, you know, to, to tell us what are the stories going on in government contracting. And, and yeah. so there's no reason uh, vendors shouldn't be doing the same thing. Absolutely. So, you know, so Steve, yeah. I'm really sad. I don't, I don't want to go, but we have, we have to. So I can't thank you enough, um, ladies, for being with us today. We will have you back, guaranteed. And Steve, as always, great being your sidekick um, at these market chat radio programs that we put on with Federal News Network. So everybody, thank you for listening today as well. Uh, this is Luann Brossman. As I said before, I am the founder and CEO of Government Marketing University, and you've been listening to Market Chat, bringing clarity to the clutter in government marketing on Federal News Network. Thank you for listening to Market Chat, bringing clarity to the clutter. Sponsored by Government Marketing University on Federal News Network.